Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. What authority? Oh, I gave sight to the blind. What authority? Who do you think you are? I make the deaf hear. I make the mute speak. I brought the dead back to life. Who do you think you are? I don't know, maybe the Messiah, right? You've read the Bible, right? Like, maybe that's who I am. I've shown you that for three years. How is this still a question? It will always be a question, Jesus, who do you think you are? Or sometimes within our world, God, who do you think you are? When pride is in the way. Are you the center of your own universe? Who's the first person you think about when you wake up in the morning? Who are you looking out for, number one? When something goes wrong, do you question God, how could you let this happen to me? In today's message, Pastor James reminds us that God is the one that should be central in our lives. Jesus doesn't answer to us, but we must be ready to stand and give an answer to him for everything that we've ever done, said, or thought. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going through the Gospel of Mark. The way that we do this is we just systematically go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. There's nothing fancy about it. We just start at the beginning and work our way all the way through it. And it has taken us much longer to get through the Gospel of Mark than what I was anticipating. And that's okay. Today, we're going to cover a couple of stories at the end of Mark chapter 11 and then into chapter 12, okay? We're going to be dealing with the danger of pride, right? So... Pride is a problem. How do I know it's a problem? Because it's a problem for me. It's a problem for me. Pride was a, a problem for Lucifer, and it got him cast out of heaven, the presence of God, and with him, a third of the angels uh, fell with him. Pride is a very dangerous thing. Pride is, is blinding. It is absolutely blinding, and it is, it's lethal. Ultimately, it's lethal. And I'm not talking about, you know, feeling good about an accomplishment, there's a good pride, quote unquote, right? I'm talking about the pride where it just, it's just arrogance, that you got it. You got it all figured out, and you don't need anybody else. That's the danger we're going to be talking about today. So um, if you'll note, uh, if you can in your brain uh, visualize the, the spelling of pride, right in the center of pride is the word I. I is always at the center of pride. I is also at the center of sin, and those two will always be there, okay? And so when everything is framed around I, me, it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to a fall. That's what Proverbs tells us. And so we need to pay attention to stories like this today when we're talking about religious people dealing with Jesus and how it was, it was the I issue that caused them to miss him, Okay? Let's read through this portion of scripture real quick. Verse 27 of Mark chapter 11. I'm going to read from New Living Translation. It says, again, they, that's Jesus and his disciples, entered Jerusalem. This is after the, uh, the triumphal entry that, hap- entry that happened on a Sunday. And then they showed up on Monday. Jesus cleared out the temple. And now, again, they enter into Jerusalem again. This is the Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
They entered Jerusalem as Jesus was walking through the temple area. The leading priest, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders. Those are like the top three, okay? These are the big guns. This is not the high priest and all that stuff, but these guys are, are a big deal within the religious system. They came up to Jesus and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? Ah, oh, church people got a problem with Jesus, right? Especially when he shows up and he messes up your deal, okay? So that's your biggest warning red flag there is if church is your deal, then you missed it. It's not your deal. It's his. This thing, it's not ours. It's his. It's his. And these guys were upset because Jesus, for the second time, has cleared out the money changers, all that stuff. He's cleared out the, the court of the Gentiles there at the temple He's cleared it out again, and they're mad at him. They're mad at him. And so now he's, it says he's walking around. Other gospel accounts say that he's not just walking around, but he's also teaching. And in the midst of his teaching, the religious people show up, and they're like, hey, 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 who do you think you are? What gives you the right to mess up our deal? What gives you the right? There, so they want, they want an answer, and Jesus is going to do the good classic rabbi thing where he's going to ask them a question. I'll answer your question after you answer my question. There's a little good application note to this, because sometimes we go to Jesus with a lot of questions, and maybe he doesn't want to answer your question until you answer some of his. Okay? I got a lot of questions for Jesus, but there are times where Jesus has some questions for me, and he'll answer my questions but maybe after I answer his, okay? Don't view Jesus as this genie in the bottle where you, know, where you just do the right thing, you say the right thing, and poof, here he is, and now he has to answer all your demands. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And sometimes in following Jesus and serving him, he has questions for you and I that he wants an answer to first. And then that is where this issue of pride will come into play. Will you answer his question honestly, or will pride prevent you from going deeper in this relationship with Jesus? Or will it keep you away from him? What authority are you doing this? So they're mad. That's the scene. That's what's happening here. It's in the temple, and they're upset about him. Jesus says, verse 29, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Did John, now this is John the Baptist, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. He's like, I'll answer your question. And Jesus, he would have answered their question, although he didn't have to, because technically he had been answering that same question for three years. What authority? Oh, I broke bread and fish and fed thousands of people. What authority? Oh, I gave sight to the blind. What authority? Who do you think you are? I make the deaf hear. I make the mute speak. I brought the dead back to life. Who do you think you are? I don't know, maybe the Messiah, right? You've read the Bible, right? Like, maybe that's who I am. I've shown you that for three years. How is this still a question? It will always be a question, Jesus, who do you think you are? Or sometimes within our world, God, who do you think you are? When pride is in the way. And there's no room for humility. Jesus says, John the Baptist, 
Who gave him his authority? Answer me that. And he got him. He got him. Brilliant. There's nobody smarter than Jesus. There's nobody more powerful than Jesus. There's nobody better than Jesus. There's nobody who can love better than Jesus. No one. And you can't trick Jesus. I don't care how smart you are, how clever you are. These are some of the brightest minds in Jerusalem. They know the law. And Jesus asked them one question, one question, and they're left speechless. Where did John's authority come from? Where did he come from? This is a major, major question, and there's more to it than what sometimes the surface indicates. John the Baptist was born to Zechariah or Zacharias. Sometimes it's uh, labeled as that. And both his mom and dad were from the Levitical line, lineage. His dad was a priest serving in the temple. Meaning this, John the Baptist could have been, if he wanted to, he could have been a high priest in the temple. He had more right to be a priest in the temple than most of these other guys. If you do the little genealogy, that's who John the Baptist was. Now, he was set aside or set apart by God from even before he was born, while he was in his mother, even before he was in his mother's womb. God prophesied to Zechariah and his bride saying, your son, he's going to be a prophet. He's going to be a prophet. It's going to be distinct, and, and this is how he's going to live his life, and all those amazing things. But technically, within the family lineage he was a part of, he could have been a high priest. His dad was, got the privilege of going into the innermost part on that special day when God showed up in his life and says, hey, you haven't had a kid yet, but your wife is going to be pregnant. And he like laughed, and then he went mute for the whole pregnancy. And then when it's time for John to be born, they're like, what are you going to name him? Obviously, you're going to name him Zachariah because that's his dad's name. And Zachariah says, no, no, he had to write it down. He says, his name will be John because that's what God told him. So Jesus pulling out John the Baptist and his authority is there's way more to it than just the baptisms. He's saying he falls more in line with like the high priesthood than any of you guys. Here's what this also means. There was one day, John the Baptist is out and he's baptizing people because that's part of his name, right? The Baptist and he's baptizing people and Jesus approaches him and John makes this proclamation. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, you know, sacrificially, the high priest is the one who identifies the spotless, blameless lamb that was going to be perfect for the sacrifice. John the Baptist, as a high priest, family-wise, was certifying that Jesus is the spotless, pure, perfect sacrifice. None of the other priests saw that. They all saw Jesus as a problem. John, in the priestly lineage, says, the perfect lamb has arrived. The perfect sacrifice has arrived. So when Jesus is asking about John the Baptist, he's also letting these guys know he's more of a high priest than any of you will ever be. And he actually did what you guys failed to do. And on the day, the Sunday, when Jesus marched into Jerusalem, on the very day when the sacrificial lambs were brought into the city, 
to be sacrificed, there was your perfect spotless lamb, whom John the Baptist had already certified as he's perfect. He's perfect. So not only is Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross for your sins, for my sins, you know, it's, it's, it's truth and all that good stuff, but it is certifiable concerning Jewish law. Certifiable. Like John put a stamp of approval on that thing. He's the one. He's the one. And he was baptizing people. And he was, he was giving these religious leaders issues as well. Because when they show up to check out what's going on, he calls them snakes. He's like, oh, you brood of vipers. Why are you coming here? Are you fleeing from judgment? He had all sorts of fun little names for these guys. And they didn't take too kindly to him because they also sat by idly as he got his head chopped off for standing up for truth. For standing up for truth. So Jesus is saying, let's talk about John the Baptist. And they're like, ooh, whoops. We weren't thinking about that. We didn't think he'd go there. Jesus is like, well, where did his authority come from? You want to know about my authority? Well, let's talk about John the Baptist. Where did, where did his authority come from? And they are, they're stumped. And, and look at their, their reasoning here. Verse 31, they talked it over among themselves. They had a little holy huddle, right? They're like, give us a second. We got to talk about this, right? They're looking at each other like, did you think he was going to say that? No, I didn't think he was going to say that. So they excuse themselves so they can talk about this, right? They talked it over among themselves. If we say from heaven... He will ask, why didn't you believe him, <laughs> right? Like, if we say, if we say we, what we know is true, he'll hold us accountable to the truth. But we can't do that. So let's figure up another answer. Let's figure out something else. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet as he was. So they finally replied, we don't know. IDK, right? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. Which they're lying. They're lying to Jesus. That's a flat out lie. Because in their own answer, in their own reasoning, they, they know the right answer. They know it's from heaven. They know it was from God. They know that. They know that. The people know that. Jesus knows that. And they're like, we can't say that. Why? Because then he'll ask us, well, why didn't you believe it? Then why didn't you believe it? People will choose ignorance when presented with truth that contradicts their life. People will choose ignorance when presented with truth that contradicts their life. It's just who we are. It's who we are. And I don't want to isolate these guys as the bad guys because I know what it's like to be one of these guys. When confronted with truth in my own life, searching around for like, well, I can't answer honestly. Let me figure out a way to, let me figure out some other way. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That, and that's where they, they found themselves. Some of the brightest minds in Jerusalem, some of the most well-versed people in the scriptures, they know the right answer. And they have to say, I don't know. We don't know. Jesus' response to them is absolutely classic. He's, I mean, this is like a boss move right here. This is like, this is amazing. 
He's like, well, I'm not going to tell you where my authority came from. Then I'm not going to answer you. You don't want to answer me, then I'm not going to answer you. And we're like, well, Jesus, that doesn't seem very polite. I love this Jesus. This is amazing. Like, we need to be more like this Jesus, right? Like, this is awesome. He responds, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. And that's it. And then he's got a little story for them. He's got this cool little uh, parable that he's going to teach specifically and directly to these religious leaders. He's like, I'm not going to tell you. You already know. I don't have to tell you because you already know. Essentially, it's kind of what he's saying. You know. You know where John the Baptist's authority came from. You know where my authority comes from. You know. You just, you got that pride issue. You know, but you don't want to know. You don't want to know. You don't want to admit that my authority comes from heaven. So look at verse 1 of chapter 12. This is like a little warning shot for these leaders. Um, I was reading up on this, these uh, stories concerning like hurricanes. But this story passed my desk this week. Uh, in 1969, in past Christian Mississippi, there was a hurricane party that was thrown. Okay, Hurricane was on the horizon. So these people had this idea of like, let's throw a party. Let's throw a party, which sounds like a Galveston type thing to do, right? If I'm honest, like, yeah, some people are like, we're out of here. Other people I know are like, it's party time. Yeah, it's crazy. But the storm was on the horizon. And a, a police officer showed up to these people and, where these apartments were just 250 feet from the shore. He shows up and he's like, you guys got to leave. The storm's coming. You got to go. And we're like, and they're laughing at them. They're mocking them. They're like, you're crazy. We're going to stay. We're going to party and we'll be just fine. So the cop did what only he could do at that point in time. And he gathered information from them concerning next of kin, just in case. And he, he was pleading with them, like, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. It's going to be a bad one. It's going to be a bad one. And don't stick around because this destruction is coming. They chose to stay. It was 10, 15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm came ashore. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 205 miles an hour. The strongest on record, I guess, at that point in time. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets. The waves off the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later showed that the worst damage came at the little settlement of motels, go-go bars, and gambling houses known as Pass Christian, Mississippi, where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party in these apartments. Nothing was left of that three-story structure but the foundation. The only survivor was a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. See, they were warned. Destruction's coming. You got a heads up. You should flee. You should flee. You should make for higher ground. Because the storm's coming. Storm's coming. And that's what responsible people do. Is they get, give people heads up. Hey, just so you know, storm's coming. Storm's coming. Jesus with these leaders is like, I need to give you guys a heads up because you're not really listening to me. You don't recognize my authority. And, and in not doing so, you're also, you're just dismissing God. But there's a storm coming and you need to be aware of it. And this is kind of what he does with this parable. Verse 1, it says, Jesus began teaching them with stories. It's parables. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Within this parable, 
God is the guy who owns the land. God is the one who, who established the vineyard. God is the one who built the tower. God is the one who has done all of the work. He's done it all. So, says then he leased it, he leased the vineyard or he rented the vineyard to tenants, tenant farmers, and moved to another country. So he, he entrusted it with them and then he's going to leave for a little bit. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was, there was only one left. His son, whom he loved dearly, and you could say, and you could probably catch on to this, his one and only son, whom he loved dearly. They won't listen to my servants. And, and really what he's referencing here is the fact that over the course of time, specifically concerning Israel, that's God's place. And God has established everything. And he has rented it to these people. And when he shows up, because the guy who owns the vineyard has every right to collect fruit from the vineyard. It is not their fruit. It is his fruit. If you are part of the body of Christ, it is not your fruit, it is God's fruit. And we're just renters. We're just renters. He owns it. He's established it all. And specifically concerning Israel, God has done all the work and he sent prophets to these guys. And how have they responded to his prophets? Well, just like they responded to the prophet of John the Baptist, they largely ignored them or they beat them or they murdered them. And God's like, okay, well, I got one more left. I got my son. I'll send my son. And this parable is, is somewhat prophetic in nature because we see what they do to his son, which is going to happen to Jesus in just a few days. But a note about the fruitfulness in the vineyard and all that good stuff for you and I, because there is a, there is a little hint within this parable about giving back to God, right? And the fruitfulness and all that good stuff. I, I was listening to a teaching about this, and, and this guy made mention of tithing, which don't worry, you don't get stressed out. Um, boxes are in the back. We don't pass a plate or anything like that. You probably, you may have noticed that, or maybe you didn't notice that. Um, we believe that tithing is an act of worship. It's an act of worship is what it is. It's between you and the Lord, and it's, you know, his fruit given to you in your life, and you giving back to him. But this guy made mention of this. He says, tithing is not about giving. Tithing is about keeping. Because all that you have has been given to you from God. And you're deciding how much you're going to keep for yourself and give back to him. I was like, well, that's an interesting way of looking at tithing. Because it's all fruit in one sense. And he's just given it to us. He's entrusted us, and some he's entrusted with more, and some he's entrusted with this amount, and all that good stuff. And, and it's not even always monetary. You know, we, I think we know that. But anything that God has given to us, it's a gift from him. And are we giving it back? Are we giving it back? He owns the vineyard, guys. He owns the vineyard. We get to work within the vineyard. They're not our grapes. They're his. They're his.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.